morning, church. Open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 23. My name is Mark, and I used to work here. Uh, I want to open by, uh, well, I don't know if I worked. That's fair. Uh, I want to thank the elders. It's kind of as uh, coming back. If you're visiting, I've been gone about three weeks. Each, each summer, the elders allow me a period of time to get away and study and, and go with Christ and youth to move events where I get to teach high school kids, and it energizes me. I love, I love our students. We had a great group of students and sponsors this uh, last week in Holland, Michigan. You bet. Absolutely deserving. Incredible group of students, and, and uh, it just is refreshing. I want to appreciate Scott Ensminger and Chad Ragsdale for covering while I was gone. I listened to the podcast as soon as they came out. Uh, great work, so I know you didn't miss me at all, but it's good to be home. And uh, this isn't about me, but I just love this church and appreciate your hearts. And uh, we're going to continue in our series on the message. We're in the 71st week, and uh, I want you to highlight in your notes today, Kingdom. Today's teaching about Jesus is a reoccurring teaching in his ministry, but it's all about the kingdom. And uh, we're going to do something a little bit different today. I'm going to take a very large chunk of complicated text, and I want to do a comparison with something that Jesus had done when he opened his ministry. If you can recall all the way back to February of 2012 when we began this series, I took you to what I call the cliff note version of everything Jesus would be teaching for his entire earthly ministry. It's found in Matthew 4:17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Some of your translations say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Some translations say the kingdom of heaven is available now. Everything Jesus came to do was in the midst of the darkness of this world and its evil. Jesus wanted to establish a kingdom here that we could join. I often hear, and we were talking about it backstage, excuse me, I often hear people say things that are a little bit almost unbiblical. You just can't find a text that says this. We'll say things like, uh, let's ask Jesus into our heart or let's accept Jesus. We don't accept Jesus. He accepts us. And when Jesus came, he was saying, repent and change your life so that in this relationship with me, by submitting yourself to me, I will bring you into my kingdom and start a new work. Ezekiel had a prophecy from God that said God would give us a new heart and a new spirit. It's common in the Old Testament. It's found throughout the entire New Testament. God wants us to appear before him and give our lives to him in exchange for everything he gives by giving himself. So having established all of that, Jesus came to build a kingdom, and he's asking us to change and come into it. Because as we often talk about here, you don't get yourself cleaned up to come to Jesus. You can only be cleaned up by Jesus. You have to come into his kingdom so he can mess you up and make you new. And that's exactly what he wants to do with all of us. That's the first sermon. Now let's get to today's sermon. If you... Remember, Jesus began his ministry, his public ministry, by gathering a bunch of people in what we now call the Sermon on the Mount. And in that Sermon on the Mount, Jesus established seven blessed people. Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those who are persecuted. And he he established that it's not the things that we do that makes us blessed. It's by trusting him with everything we are, we will be blessed. Today's text is interesting because Jesus in that same Sermon on the Mount would say that unless your righteousness, unless your efforts to be the right person for the right reasons surpasses that of the Pharisees, you cannot enter into my kingdom. 
Very clear teaching. Who are the Pharisees? I want to use today's text in Matthew chapter 23 to give you an introduction as to what Jesus is talking about and then show you seven woes that he offers. Seven times he said, woe unto you, you Pharisees. And in those seven teachings, he's actually comparing what he taught us in the Beatitudes with what not to become in our own lives. So first hour, I had him flipping between Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 23. And since everything appears on the screen, I just want you to camp in chapter 23 because most of Matthew 5 is memorable or at least familiar. Okay? Who are the Pharisees? Matthew 23, verse 1. Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, let me stop there for a moment. To the best of our understanding, this is the last public teaching Jesus will give. Comparing it to his first public teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, something is being said here that's memorable. It's a comparison and a contrasting. So he says to the disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must obey them and do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplace and to have men call them rabbi. But you're not to call them rabbi or teacher, for they have only one master and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Christ. The greatest among you will be your servant, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted." These Pharisees. If you've been with us since February of 2012, you understand that Jesus has constantly used the Pharisees as an example of what not to become. So who are they and where did they originate from? If you go all the way back in the Old Testament to the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, you'll realize that the nation of Israel had been taken by punishment at God's will, had been taken into captivity by Babylon. And during that time, there were some that asked the king of Babylon if they could go back and rebuild the walls and the temple of their great city. And the king at that time relinquished some of them to go back, Nehemiah, to build the walls. Ezra went with Nehemiah, and Ezra was a, was a man who found the scrolls of God with the laws of God, all of this history. And he had those scrolls read, and the people of Israel stood at attention while the word of God was read. And they listened to what God had asked of them. And they understood why they had been punished. And they recommitted themselves to the word of God. And from that moment, these scribes and Pharisees came into being. They were protector of God's laws. Never again would they allow a nation to steal from them God's mandate, God's purposes, God's will. So the Pharisees and the scribes began as good things making sure that the word of God was presented. Notice that Jesus says, listen to what they teach because they sit in Moses' seat. Moses didn't make up the law. Moses received it. The Pharisees and the scribes were to have received the law of God and present it to God's people to be honored. But the Pharisees had gone beyond that. And what you read here was Jesus said, the Pharisees have no longer made it about God's words. They have turned it into their own words. They had taken God's word and they had twisted it and they had added to it and they had made it so hard for anybody to honor it because then they had power and they had control. And Jesus said, don't listen or don't watch what they do because they don't live anything like the law, but listen to the law that they're presenting to you from my word. 
interesting take on this. And Jesus shows what the problem was with the Pharisees. Their religion was external only, never internal. They honored God with their flesh and the way that they presented themselves. But inside, they were taking advantage of people, they were taking God's money, and they were trying to gain as much power as they could to control people. They were a train wreck. They wanted to impress people, and they did not care at all if they impressed God, which is why Jesus used them for us thousands of years later to understand that you can be extremely religious and not have any relationship with God whatsoever. Pure and simple. In fact, religion probably keeps you more from God than it ever helps you get to him. And Jesus presented this to them. And he challenged them. And, and notice he did something that's amazing. Uh, at least I think it is. First hour just stared at me. And so I want to tell you that if you find this amazing, <clears throat> say something. I, I have to tell you, I need to make up for three weeks of not being with my friends. And it's going to be about a three-week sermon here. So you've got to play the game. And I've also just spent three weeks with 4,500 high school kids who are full of life and awesome. And if you act boring, I may go off. Okay? I just want to tell you right now. I am wound tight. Here we go. Notice what he says to them. He says about the Pharisees, to to the disciples, he said, I want to remind you, you have one king and it's none of us. He says, you have one teacher and it's the word of God. And notice that John would then refer to Jesus as the word of God. We have one status. None of us are more important or more significant than any other. We are all children of God, equal. We have one Father, Creator God, and we have one measure of greatness, which is being a servant of all. Would you amen that? Is that truth? When, when men are elevated, or pastors are elevated, or worship leaders are elevated to a status above the crowd, shame on them, because the only one who should be elevated, and if he is, he will draw all men unto himself, is Jesus. The Pharisees had replaced God with themselves, and Jesus gave to them seven woes. Now, growing up in the church, I thought the woes was Jesus kicking some hind end. I thought it was the last sermon he was going to preach, and he went, you're out, and you're out, and you're a loser, and you're out. And then I read the rest of my Bible, and that's not our Jesus, is it? He, he, never, he never has a moment he doesn't care about us. So I can't read the woes that way. So I looked up what the word woe meant, and it meant alas, which told me nothing. <laughs> I, I don't know Bill Shakespeare. I have no idea what alas means. But I looked up the original Greek word, and what it means is, in today's vernacular, if I can speak to you like it makes sense to me, it's you guys. Yeah. Woe means you guys. It doesn't have to be like this. You guys, wake up. You guys, focus. It wasn't losers. It was wake up because you're living the opposite of what God's opportunities have been for you. That's why I've entitled today's message, Blessed or Pitied, because the woe here means that the pity of Jesus was on them. He was saying it doesn't have to be like this. Why are you living this way? So I'm going to ask us the question at the end of the morning. Do you want to be blessed or do you want to be pitied? You get to choose which that is. So let's take a peek. We're going to do this rather quickly. And I want to make sure we read every word of Scripture. I don't want to tell you what the Bible says. I want you to see it. 
Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, when Jesus introduced this concept of being welcomed into his kingdom, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit doesn't mean you walk around acting like you're worthless. Poor in spirit means you realize you've messed it up. Can I have an amen? Like I told you, I just spent three weeks with 4,500 high school kids, and what I love about it is if you can turn off the noise in their world, they don't need anyone to shame them. They're just like you and I. When the world finally become silent, they can hear the voice of God, and they hear a God who says to them, you guys, it can be better than this, and they all want it. And when we become poor in spirit in the presence of God, he will give us his kingdom. In other words, welcome into it. In Matthew 23, 13, however, Jesus says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those who enter who are trying to. You see, Jesus said, the blessed are those who are broken in life and let Jesus fix it. Poor in spirit. The pitied have control, power, and try to use other people to accomplish what only Jesus can. Guys, it doesn't have to be like this. Something better for us. Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, Jesus doesn't say, well, go out and just act like life's horrible and fake cry and just act like everything's so dour. He doesn't do that. He doesn't need to, does he, church? Live 20 years in this world, and most of your dreams will be gone. Oh, I know that's cynical, but if you want to argue with me, let's talk later. Live 20 years in this world, and you're going to find out Walt Disney wasn't telling the truth. So mourning by the sin and destruction of sin, addiction, and all that goes on, greed, all of that, we know how to mourn because we realize this isn't the way things are supposed to be. In verse 15 of Matthew 23, Jesus said, "'Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites!' You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. (laughs) I don't know about you, that's preaching. That's flat out preaching right there. All right. So, what did Jesus just do here? He opened his ministry by saying, come to me, those that hurt over sin, that need mercy, desire grace, and want God's peace. Come, and what will God do? He will comfort you. Only God can bring you the comfort you desire. Nothing, no no alcohol, no drug, no job, no status, nothing created can replace the creator. It can numb you for a moment, but it'll never satisfy you. And then Jesus said, the pitied seek praise and attention. And notice what he said, you're making disciples of you. And that will not get them where they want to go. Whoa, guys doesn't have to be like this. Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The meek are those who don't have power, who don't use their power, who humble themselves. But in verse 16 of Matthew 23, Jesus shows the opposite, his challenge to us. Woe to you blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools. Which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on it, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? 
Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. What Jesus just did there masterfully was he said, you use the things you think you possess, the power that you think you have. Use the possessions of this earth to be your security, to be your safety, to be your integrity. He says, but you don't understand. All of that's going back to the one who created it. And if your integrity is not with your creator, you have zero. So you make these vows and these promises on your authority and your power and your status, but you can't deliver any of it. I think when Jesus called them blind guides, he was, he was provoking them. And I think the crowd laughed. What good is a blind guide? He doesn't know where he's going. How can he get you there? So Jesus was saying, you guys, blessed are the meek, not blessed are those who make grand promises they know they can't keep. Verse 6, Matthew 5, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Whenever I hear that, they will be filled. The older I get, the more I realize how empty I am a lot, and the satisfaction of God is that only God can fill what I really, truly want. In Matthew 23, Jesus contrasted that with, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. But you have neglected the most important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. And his audience laughed that day. You see, the blessed have a hunger that only God's holiness can fill. Now, I want more of God. I truly do. I I have this voracious appetite for more of God. But the problem is, I don't want to eat what he's feeding me. So I have no doubt why I'm empty. But when I open up and let God bring to me what he wants, even if it looks spiritually like peas, It will be good, and it will last. The pitied, however, they practice meaningless elements of piety. They perform things with their flesh that makes everyone think they want God. They raise their hands in worship, but the entire time, they're not worshiping the ones they raise their hands toward. They want everybody to see their hands raised. Raising your hands in the Old Testament was a sign of emptying yourself. I bring nothing. And so today, when we raise our hands, and I hope you all will, may we present empty hands to a God who will fill them. That's why we worship. And woe to those who do what they do to be seen by men. You see, when Jesus talks about righteousness, there's two parts of righteousness. There's the being that God, by grace, will make you into. And then there is the doing of faithful obedience that will allow the world to hear your testimony. So to be righteous is to both be and do what God has called you to become and get done. And we don't do things so that God's impressed. We should do things because we're impressed by God. And we believe he can do what he promises. And anything else, it's just a show. Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. We will will give what we think we've received. And if we've truly 
receive mercy, we will offer mercy. If we think that we've received judgment, then we will judge others and be critical. In Matthew 23, 25, Jesus said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. The blessed obtain mercy by understanding our need for it and confessing that need. A few weeks ago, if you were with us, maybe five or six weeks back, we used Jesus' teaching to show that there is a gift righteousness which comes from him, and there is a works righteousness which we try to do to get God's pleasure. What Jesus has just done here in the Beatitudes, he said, blessed are the merciful who have received mercy. And by receiving mercy, you will become a merciful person. That's a gift righteousness. However, works righteousness is when we try to impress God by doing things and cleaning the outside and showing everyone that we look good, but inside God knows that you haven't changed a lick. You haven't let me give you a new heart. You haven't let me place a new spirit in you. And we struggle with this. In Matthew 5, 8, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. He contrasts that with verses 27 and 28 of Matthew 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. The comparison there is clear. The blessed trust the Lord by faith and receive a new heart. And by receiving a new heart, they see the work of God all around them. The pitied are those who don't desire to see God's righteousness because they want to be seen as God, not letting God be seen as God. And you can't see God when you're in competition with him. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Try to keep peace in this world and you will bring on a fight. Isn't it an interesting dichotomy? To try to live by the peace of our Father will bring a problem. In today's world, and you know I don't desire to, to preach the front page of the newspaper, but in today's world now, to stand up and say what God has clearly said will get you ridiculed, mocked, and eventually they're going to try to silence us. Church, testify. Just testify. Let the Word of God be your security and you will live forever. Let the applause of men be your security, and I give you a day. It's all it will last. You see, the pitied are those who murder and persecute. Jesus said, it's amazing. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our forefathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourself that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the sin of your forefathers. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? (laughs) Jesus is on a roll. Let's do a little Bible quiz here today. Some of you just freaked out, all right? (laughs) Who's the only other person in all the Bible to call the Pharisees a pack of snakes? Oh, come on. There are a bunch of people listening to this on podcasts who think, wow, (laughs) pressure's on. John the Baptist. If you study John the Baptist, you realize he's the one. Someone's over, I had it right, but I didn't take the risk. Okay. (laughs) And so what had happened was 
John called them a pack of snakes. Don't you think Jesus intentionally used those words to remind us of this? The Old Testament prophecies are always true because John was the last Old Testament prophet. I don't know if you realize that. Under the new covenant began with Jesus. And John was the last Old Testament prophet and he told them, your lives look more like Satan than they do like my king. And Jesus is warning them. How do you plan to escape the punishment of hell when right now the Pharisees, when Jesus said this, had already begun the plot to have Jesus killed and yet stood in front of their people and said all they wanted was the best for God. And they saw the Son of God in front of them and because they were going to lose their power and status, they decided to kill the Son of God and Jesus said to them, how do you plan to escape the pits of hell when you know on the outside you look good but on the inside you're plotting my death? The blessed are peacemakers and are persecuted for it. The pitied are those who will take God's plan and try to use it for their own benefit, which is exactly what Satan did, which was the exact reason he was excommunicated from the presence of God. We are not to use God. We are to give ourselves to God to be used. And it's an eternal difference. And in Matthew chapter 23, verse 34... Jesus tells these men who have a chance to repent because the kingdom was right there. And instead, they chose to snatch it back because they thought they could make a better kingdom for themselves without Jesus. Therefore, I am sending you prophets and wise men and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Check. Others you will flog in your synagogue and pursue from town to town. The book of Acts. Check. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth, Jesus. Check. From the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar, I tell you the truth, all of this will come upon this generation. Jesus' message has not changed. It will not change. It is his message. Repent and come to me because the kingdom of God is right here. Any other way, any other way, will bring upon every one of us woe. You guys, it doesn't have to be like this. In Matthew 5.10, Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus said that. And what would happen to him within a month of this text historically? He would be persecuted for righteousness. And he would receive the kingdom of heaven again. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad. Are you kidding? I hate what's going on in our country. I hate the decisions that are made and the arrogance behind them. I hate the fact that we've decided we can reinterpret what God created clearly. And yet, I'm supposed to rejoice and be glad because your great is your reward in heaven. And my Bible tells me that when Jesus fulfilled all that God gave him to do, he sat down at the right hand of God. He went back and took his rightful place. And because of that, he goes and prepares a place for all of us. Rejoice and be glad no matter what happens to you here. Blessed is the person who trusts the Lord. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus said, because of me. I can offer you the opportunity of a lifetime. So what do we do with this 2,000 years later? Just glad we're not Pharisees, right? It's not the point. 
The point is that Jesus said, my kingdom is open to you if you will open yourself to me. Because we don't accept Jesus, he accepts us. And if you will go and receive the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ by confessing that you're a sinner who has shattered your life and you need him, then he will welcome you to his kingdom. He won't, he won't delay one moment. He won't send you out for three months and say, think about this. He says, come, repent for my kingdom is available to you right now. And following the crucifixion and resurrection, the power of the Holy Spirit, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to his church. Enter into his kingdom and find life. But what about the rest of us who have made that decision to become a follower of Jesus Christ? What are we supposed to do with this text? I've said it before, and it's not because I don't have any more material. But I want to confess that I'm a Pharisee. A lot of times, my understanding of Jesus is external and not internal. A lot of times, I honor God with my flesh, but my heart is far from him. A lot of times, I want to impress you more than I want to impress him. I need to repent of that. Because Jesus says, Mark, come on. It doesn't have to be like this. You see, being able to go away for three weeks and the blessing that I had this summer, a lot of noise went away. A lot of things that I thought was important, it's not. I survived. I haven't seen a sports center in a month. (laughs) Cubs are still losing too, so what difference did it make? Quiet. I, I got away from cell phones and emails and truth of the matter is, I saw high school kids who love their families and love this church and love Jesus. They got away from the noise and God gave a vision to them and a passion to them and a call on their hearts. I saw kids crying and saying, I want, I want more of Jesus. When I coached baseball or even when my, my boys were little, I used to say, give me your eyes. Give me your eyes. Because if they could get their eyes off the television and the distractions all around them, and they could focus on what their dad was saying to them, I felt like they had a chance to hear what I wanted them to do or become. And I want to say this to our church. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Because right now, your eyes are fixed on your jobs and your homes and bigger, more, more, more. Because if I have more, I have more security. I have more comfort. I have more peace. And Jesus said, woe to the nation that thinks stuff is equal to God. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He did not die on the cross to condemn you. He died on the cross to say, you guys, it doesn't have to be like this. It can be better. It can be real. You can be a light in a dark kingdom. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is available now. And some of you need to get up now and go to one of these tables and talk to someone who can share with you what God's will for your life is because he wants to save you and then he wants to work with you. And some of us have sat for year after year because our eyes are We're scanning the world, trying to find Jesus. And I believe the only way you'll see Jesus is to stop looking at the world and get away and focus your eyes on the one we have waited for, the promised one. Jesus said, I'm here. My kingdom's available now. Change your ways. Look at me. Find life. Let's stand together.